0: Hello everyone and welcome to Main Menu for the 20th of January 2017. This is your co-host Jason Castingway speaking. This week we're going to continue in part two of the accessibility updates from Microsoft. We're focusing on Microsoft Office and OneNote products this time, with a few other things sprinkled in. Listeners may wish to pay particular attention toward the end of the show when information is given on how to provide feedback directly to Microsoft. We had one listener who was experiencing many different problems, and I think you might appreciate this information because Microsoft would like to hear directly from users, and there are several ways on how to do that. An urgent message has come out from AI Squared regarding their products failing to start due to certificate issues. It is explained thoroughly on their website. For more information, you can go to www.aisquared.com slash certificate fix. All one word, www.aisquared.com slash certificate fix. Okay, it's a pretty tight show, so here we go.
1: All right, Megan, so Office is next.
2: Fantastic. Well, Kelly, thank you so much. You guys did just an incredible job at, at outlining all of the work that's been done in Windows. I think we're going to start this particular session off by having Malvika really dig in and talk about all the great new accessibility features and functions that we're seeing across Office 365. And then we'll dig into a particular case study, which I know Jeff was involved with and here at Microsoft, we're incredibly excited about, which is the accessibility of OneNote. And then I'm going to round out the session by speaking to the process. So as many of you, know accessibility is a process and we want to talk about how we are building process into all of our programs across Microsoft to make sure that we not only hit that accessibility mark, but we continue to hit that accessibility mark. Um, So I'm going to hand it over to Malvika and let her speak about what's new in Office 365.
3: Perfect. Before I dive
2: into what's new in accessibility of
3: Office 365, I wanted to bust a few myths about what Office 365 is and what it's not. So let's do a true or false. And maybe Jeff, you can play along. You can answer true or false. All right, let's do it. Does Office 365 work online and offline? Yes. It does, that's great. That's myth number one. A lot of people seem to think Office only works if you have internet. It actually works offline as well. Uh, Myth two. Can you work with Office on any device?
1: You can on anything, your browser, your phone, your tablet, your Surface, whatever you like.
3: Perfect, you're acing this. So Office 365 is cross-platform. We have mobile apps, web apps, as well as the traditional PC and Mac apps that we've had for a while. And Then the third question, how often does Office update with Office 365?
1: Oh, no, that's tricky. <laughs> uh, yes. it, it all depends, right? Uh, Exactly. Yeah, but uh, if you are willing to be brave and join the proud people who love to be Office Insiders, then you'll get updates more frequently, even up to uh, weekly updates, and then others will get them either monthly, every three months or six months, depending upon which brand of Office 365 you're on or what corporate version of Office 365 you're utilizing.
3: Exactly. So that's a great way to summarize the value of Office 365 that it's cross-device that works online and offline, and that it updates very regularly. And you or your IT, if you're an organization, gets to choose what branch they want to put you on. From an accessibility perspective, I really wish that people are able to get on the latest version because over the past year, we've made hundreds of updates to both make the applications more usable and to make it easy to create accessible content with the applications. So I really hope after discovering some of this value, organizations put all employees on the latest version. Now I thought we could double click a little bit into the value. So I mentioned briefly that Office 365 lets you create content as well as lets you consume content, collaborate on content. I wanted to tell you one example of value in Office 365 that was recently delivered for each of these areas. So let's dive into creating content. Over Christmas, I heard a really good story from someone who was able to create a Christmas card using a built-in accessible template within Office. The person happened to be a screen reader user, and we had done tons of work on our side to fix a lot of the templates that you create documents off. So now if you search for the word accessible, when you're using any template in Office, you'll be able to quickly find some templates that we fixed on our side to make sure we're actually thinking through the keyboard tab order of the template, thinking through the fonts we use in our templates, make sure they have sufficient font size, sufficient color contrast, actually defining alt text for different objects that come within a template. So a simple example to help you get started creating content is to start with an accessible template. Have you had a chance to try that, Jeff?
1: I have. I've been utilizing the uh, accessible templates here, and actually, I'm looking at the list here of our outline, and I've utilized quite a number of the features you're going to be talking about. And we're going to probably repeat this a number of times, but this is really why you really need to get on Office 365 and and get on first released access because the improvements are just monumental. I mean, Microsoft is working at lightning speed, and it's uh, just wonderful to see the progress that's been happening at Microsoft. And uh, for those especially... of you
4: who are in vocational rehabilitation or working with employers or doing forward facing activities, you need examples sometimes of what's working, what's not working or yep. here, here's a great milestone for you to shoot for. Uh, that is fantastic that Microsoft has primary examples. And I love the detail that you you gave there on how far down you went into it, because I think that's really helpful for people to get a good guide to know what is and isn't there especially from like you were saying with the colors and the like uh, because some people they they just sometimes miss the details so that's awesome yeah.
3: Yep. right on on that point i think accessible authoring is an area that some people are experts on because they have to be they interface regularly with people who are blind and create content for them but i think a lot of the general population that creates content doesn't know what it takes to create an accessible document and we're actually doing work on that area as well how do you guide a user who knows nothing about accessibility to create accessible content so i'm happy to report that with the latest versions of uh, office we've actually made this thing called accessibility checker more easy to discover so as a user for word excel powerpoint goes to spell checker document in the review tab they also see this thing called an accessibility checker right next to where spell checker is and if they click on it they can quickly get started with identifying accessibility issues in their documents and then getting step by step instructions to fix them so that's one way where we're we're trying to guide users down the right path whether they're accessibility experts or not making it really easy for them to find the issues and then go to the next step and actually fix the issues. So we've made it possible to fix accessibility issues in your content on any device, whether it's a mobile device, whether it's the web apps, whether it's a PC or Mac app. Now, you can actually create a document with hyperlinks that have meaningful titles with all text. You can use section headers and things like that to make the document easy to navigate. So really as an author, now you have no excuse to not create accessible content. And you're going to see us- Accessible
4: content, but not style. It's not a style checker, right? So we're still going to have people out there putting weird colors with a glitter font, right?
3: That's true. So one of the (laughs) things we want to do next is we'd, we'd love to make it impossible to create an accessible content, but we have to be thoughtful about how to not nag users, but guide them down the right path. So right now we've made it possible to do, if you know what to do, we've made it possible to check that you're doing the right thing. We've guided you by offering support documentations and helpful tips on the product. But we are thinking through how can we be even more proactive in this area and just make it impossible. Early thinking suggests that maybe in certain organizations, IT will actually be willing to turn on a switch that makes it impossible to create an accessible content. So we have to think through those kinds of things. But as much as possible, for example, the default styles within Office, I think Kelly mentioned in the previous podcast that there's nine types of heading styles. We've done the work on our side to make sure that those heading styles actually have sufficient color contrast, sufficient font size, things like that. So if you do use them, you get an accessible document.
1: I want to mention here that I really think that the new placement of the accessibility checker is extremely important. It really makes that feature much more visible to users. And we're finding that users here at least are already finding it and making people even more aware of it. So I'm delighted that you guys moved that uh, on on the ribbon. So thank you very, very much for that.
3: Yeah, we love hearing on Twitter when someone asks, why doesn't it exist on Mac? And then now we can promptly reply. Yes, it does.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and the Mac is now accessible, too. So that's another really cool thing. That happened last year.
3: Right. Um, on the same topic, one of the things I think the community of people dialing into this call can help with is raise awareness. If if authors do email you and they do send you documents aren't accessible, how can you help make the authors aware of what to do? So one of the things you can tell them, of course, is to just run the accessibility checker. Another creative idea we had is uh, what if in Outlook, we were able to introduce a mail tip. So as people are emailing you, they automatically get the mail tip reminding them to run the accessibility checker. So on our side um, in December, we announced for enterprises starting with Outlook web app, we've introduced this concept of setting a mail tip that says, I prefer accessible content, run the accessibility checker before you email me. So we think setting mail tips like that is also going to increase awareness about this area. And I've gone ahead within Microsoft and been one of the first to set the mail tip in my email account. So now as people start emailing me, they get reminded to run the accessibility checker. Excellent. The other creative stuff that I'm I'm pretty excited about is our research team has a bunch of APIs that can actually analyze images, figure out what's in them, Uh, visually describe what's in an image. So the PowerPoint team got a little creative and thought, how can we use this type of visual description to assist authors in generating alt text? If you do run the accessibility checker on a media-rich presentation, it has hundreds of images, maybe some are decorative, maybe some convey important meaning. So we wanted to give people a head start in populating alt text. So we've introduced this new control called automatic alt text. As someone inserts an image, The Cognitive Services API is able to analyze what's in that image visually and and just auto-describe it, and then the author gets a head start. They can go ahead and build on that description if it doesn't meet the intent of the image or if they had something specific in mind. If the author completely forgets to insert alt text, then someone who is a screen reader user can also use this automatic alt text to at least get some idea of what's visually represented in the image. So i wanted to hear reactions from you guys do you feel excited about this automatic alt text or do you have concerns about it because we are in early uh, design phases for this and we will be iterating based on the reactions we get from the community
1: now, but we, it now is we a new
3: area of investment
1: yeah now we've seen this done in social media space as well like facebook has been doing this for a while and it's very very interesting I assume you're going to be doing it in, in, in a way where you're only going to provide a description where you have very, very high probability of being accurate on that
3: data? Absolutely. We'll uh, convey the confidence level. So, for example, it will say automatic alt text generated. It will describe what's in the image, and it will only do it if it's high confidence. Right. Otherwise, it will state if it's low confidence and then prompt the author to edit it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. We're also thinking through ways to improve the intelligence on our side. So ideally, we want authors to correct what's detected and then give that data back to Microsoft so our algorithms can learn. Oh, but we recognize some organizations have privacy concerns. They don't want to give images from their PowerPoints as well as their authors' sure. suggestions back to a broader community. So we have to be a little thoughtful about how we implement that feedback mechanism. We think uh, for general consumers and people who opt into personal use, it should be easy to implement.
4: Okay. Well, that it can also start a dialogue. If someone has locked it down, then you could say, you know, hey, this is a really helpful feature. Did you know about it? Or moreover, I like that it's got both sides. So from both the user perspective and the creator perspective, if uh, somebody does send me one, then I can use that tool in case they omitted it or just, you know, plain forgot or skipped a step then I have the ability to try and have that described within my use of the document. So it's not a one-sided feature, which is what I'm getting at. Absolutely.
3: Yeah, I'm excited to see where the technology goes, how it evolves, and how quickly we're able to bring it to more and more applications. But for starters, we're piloting it in PowerPoint for PCs, which is pretty media-rich. The other thing we've introduced in PowerPoint for PCs is the ability to playback media. So if media has captions and audio descriptions, the media player within PowerPoint is able to actually play back audio descriptions and close captions. So that's great mm-hmm. as well from an accessibility perspective.
1: Okay. And what about the PowerPoint designer?
3: Ah, yes. That's next on my uh, list of exciting things that I get to show off when I meet customers. I think um, it's fantastic, PowerPoint, by the way. It always gets an audience excited because it looks a little bit like magic. It is magic. Uh, What what happens is um, you insert an image into a slide and uh, behind the scenes, our intelligent services are able to analyze the color scheme of that image as well as the proportions of of different items in that slide, whether it's um, text, the image, and multiple images. And it gives you back design ideas. Most of the time, the first one it gives you back is is the best looking one. So if you can't see the different design ideas, I'd recommend you go ahead and pick the first one. But what it does from an accessibility perspective is really save someone who cannot use a mouse or cannot see the time it takes to create a professional looking slide. It makes all of us be able to focus on content and not worry about formatting. It personally saves me a lot of time and it behaves absolutely magically.
1: When we were at Microsoft Ignite, we talked a lot about this and uh, I was so excited about it and I've been using it actually. So thank you for that.
3: That's great. I hope more people get to use it. It's in the latest versions of Office 365, the PC applications, PowerPoint in particular, and -hmm. you have to opt into it. So the first time it becomes available, it pops up this pane on the right side called Design Ideas and you just say, yes, I want Design Ideas. Exactly. So yeah, there is opt-in required because it is an online service that's going to analyze your image colors and give you back helpful suggestions. Mm -hmm. Another innovative control that's going to save people a lot of time is we're introducing a new link gallery within Word. So as you create documents, if you want to insert hyperlinks, firstly, we're making it really easy for you to find your most recently used files. So when you go to insert a hyperlink from the link gallery, you see all of your most recently used files show up there. And if you click on one of them, we automatically use the title of the file as the hyperlink display name instead of using the entire URL. So again, guiding authors down the right path of giving a file a meaningful display name and giving hyperlinks meaningful display names. I'm excited to see how much time that saves folks in in labeling I was actually
4: trying to calculate that as you were saying it, because I was thinking about all the times I've relabeled those. And yes, absolutely, that, that makes a lot of sense. I like that idea a lot.
3: And hopefully it creates some hygiene on the author side. They'll be kind of forced to give their files meaningful names as well because they're going to see the hyperlink name show up as the file name. So well, maybe like, that will like, prompt like we them
4: established, to... it's not a style checker. It's an accessibility checker, right? That's the big thing here.
3: Right. So that's a brief overview of innovative things we're doing to make it possible to create accessible content, professional-looking content, polished content, and really save you time if you use a screen reader and keyboard. The next topic I want to cover is You don't create content in isolation. In today's world, you work with so many people on so many teams, and you're really collaborating on content. You're very rarely creating content in isolation. So it's really important to us that screen reader users are able to collaborate with others. That's where uh, some of the work we've done in Word really shines. We're happy to announce that we've made it possible for screen reader users to be able to collaborate on documents, both in real time as well as asynchronously. So in documents that are being co-authored by multiple people, you usually have this concept of tracking changes, seeing revisions, inserting comments, having uh, co-authors lock paragraphs and and be in the same paragraph at the same time. So I wanted if we still have someone from the narrator team to briefly introduce what work they've done to make it possible for narrator to be able to support collaborating in Word.
5: Yeah, it's great. Office has been doing a wonderful job of helping expose things around tracking changes. And if you're in a multi-use document, letting you know is if the section is locked or not. And so we've really continued to expand the capabilities of both UIA a bit and also narrator's consumption of it. So the great thing around the work is knowing if someone comes or goes, or if you come across a track change, we'll read who made the change. If there is extra information, you come across the comment, you will do Caps Insert, jump over the comment, read through the comment list, Caps Insert, jump back. And so we've really continued to extend uh, the attributes inside UIA and really start to expose those as we read through. Now one thing to note, when you're reading through a document initially, you need to be at verbosity level 2 or above to hear that. So by default, we didn't want you necessarily to be inundated with all this information but uh, we sure wanted your ability to be able to read through and go, oh, I entered a track change, I exited a track change, I entered a comment, I exited a comment, I entered a grammar error, I exited a grammar error. So all those things can kind of be dialed up and down as you listen to the document. I think people will be surprised just how often
4: that happens in a visual collaboration. I know I was when I was trying to view that with screen magnification. Um, And I like that you can use that on a granular level because you're right, it could be very verbose when someone just goes in and changes something for, say, pronunciation or changes one instance of a word uh, that could really kind of slow down your workflow. But that had to be kind of crazy because was it a layer situation you were talking about with UIA and the like? That had to be a lot of things that you had to juggle
5: at one time, especially if it's going to be in real time. Well, a couple of things have occurred. One, the attributes have been in UIA for a while, so we kind of extended the attribute list a bit. And then secondly, we didn't have a good way to notify an assistive technology that an attribute changed on the fly. And you can imagine that also being very noisy. So um, we built a new mechanism in UI to help kind of manage that flow a bit. One very important thing to note, too, is that we chose to have all those sets of attributes exposed at a slightly higher robusty level. But you brought up a great point. There might be lots and lots of different types of track changes. And so we've balanced those two things also with the app. So you can go into Word, you can say, oh, I want to see all of them or some of them or the final changes. So not only can you tune it by having it kind of turned up or down in Narrator for all of the track changes or not, but you can also tune it in the app. And we chose it very specifically because you made a great point about magnification. Well, you turn that on, there's a lot of them, and you can actually go into the UI in Word and kind of turn some of those on and off. So even visually, you can reduce what's there. And so we took that same approach that audio could also be reduced to the number of things you would hear. We're looking at track changes. So We think there's lots of parallels in there, and we think that fits how someone to learn Word and also then continue to make Narrator as simple as possible.
4: Now, there is some visual things you can do like draw on the screen and circles and arrows or underline and the like is that taken into effect or is it do i at least get some type of idea that someone might have done a drawing or done something on canvas to be able to work back and forth within a document well you stumped me (laughs) <laughs> I, uh, i've watched one too many channel nine videos what can i tell you i'm sorry
5: it's awesome and the reason i don't know is because we spent a lot of time working on objects uh, inside word like do you hear uh, the yeah. fact that you go past an image and we're working on things like when you have a form do you hear well that you enter an a form and there's still a lot of work continuing to go on there yeah. and it's been working with word really and what's that prioritized list and so when we look at that depending on how we choose to plug in those objects as if they're an image or not. I, I don't right. know, but I, it should follow that same pattern as we get there. So I, I, uh, I appreciate being stumped. That's a rare well,
4: one. For that's me. okay. That's again, a part of the, the way that has been sold, let's say like with the surface studio or prior with the surface four announcement, there was a lot of conversation about collaboration or I'm an edge. So I can draw a circle and point at that. And we need to update this, or I want to draw your attention to this. And it was done on the time with touch So that's why I was kind of curious about that. If that was something that was going to be more and more forward facing within the program, even if I couldn't necessarily get at it to know that that is at least a change that has been made, you know, that has been done in a non-conventional keyboard type way, that's helpful, you know, because it's information that I could still use to go, hey, okay, you did modify something or what circle or arrow did you draw on the back of this picture that I need to be aware of kind of thing.
5: Yeah, I totally agree. It's certainly information that we want to continue to to prioritize, and it goes along our normal prioritization line, what's the percentage of use, and we certainly do want to continue to make those things accessible, because it is part of things that make the Microsoft platform great, our ability to integrate Ink and use that. So something we'll continue to look at and we can work and chat with the, the office folks and uh, come back to an answer with you over time. But uh, certainly something I know that we're looking at in the future for sure. Great. Thank you, Brett.
3: I think while we are talking about inking and drawing and applications that really let users be creative in the way they communicate information, OneNote really comes to mind because it's such a blank canvas that, that users can input data into in any form, whether it's through, through voice typing or through just dumping files into like dumping in PowerPoints or actually drawing. So we do have um, Elsa from the OneNote team on the line, and I'd love to hear... Her story of how she approached and the team that works with her approached making something as complex as OneNote accessible.
6: Yeah, so I'm a product manager on the OneNote team. And one of the things I'd love to talk to you all about today is a major redesign that we recently did to the OneNote app with accessibility in mind. And so as Malvika sort of introduced, uh, we're a little bit of a newbie to the accessibility world as apps go, because we're quite freeform in the way that users can input content. And I think the best thing to do would be to quickly introduce uh, what OneNote is, as people from this audience might not be familiar with using it. So OneNote a digital note-taking app. It's part of the Office suite, but users can also download OneNote for free through the App Store on Windows or Apple or from OneNote.com. Um, So you can organize notes into digital notebooks and each notebook can be organized into sections containing a number of pages. So this is one of the things we see like a big value proposition in OneNote is the ability to organize as well as collect lots of content. Notebooks can be shared with others for collaboration on team projects and all OneNote notebooks sync to the cloud. So they sync to OneDrive or OneDrive for Business automatically so that you can access them from any device. As we just started to mention earlier, you can insert all sorts of content into OneNote. So that can be embedding actual Office documents into the OneNote page canvas, such as Word or uh, PowerPoint or PDF to uh, get to later, or inserting online videos from YouTube, uh, which are playable within OneNote, or simple audio and video recordings as well, and handwriting in OneNote with digital ink using your finger or a stylus. So that's OneNote. Previously, we've been difficult to use with assistive technology, but in the past year, we've been making a ton of improvements. So to how pages read and how users can navigate through the different pieces of information on the canvas. Uh, And also our most more recent undertaking is a big redesign of the navigation. So how users navigate around their notes. And when we began looking at this part of the app at the start of the year, Um, we find that many users were having difficulty making their way around OneNote. So not particularly for users with screen readers, but this has sort of been unearthed as a more general problem that was difficult for all users. And related to how users get around their notes, it's also making sense of how uh, their notes are organized within the app. So understanding that, as I explained earlier, how OneNote notebooks are divided into sections and pages. For new users, this can be a bit difficult to comprehend at first. Our UI was really designed with the intent of visually representing a notebook. So rather than having all the UI related to navigation in one place, uh, we have notebooks in sort of a drop down menu or notebook shelf. Sections are listed horizontally along the top and then pages were listed vertically down one side. So it was inefficient to use and navigate by screen readers, to say the least. Uh, And it also made it difficult to relate all of those different things. So notebooks, sections and pages as the same concept because they were all over the place. So we realized, as you can see that I'm leading up to this, the only way to to get a truly great and usable experience for screen readers and all users was to redesign this navigation. And this was a great way, like I said, to to bring all these improved benefits to to our sighted users that were sort of overdue, but we were overlooking as well. And kicking off this redesign also solved another big problem we've had in OneNote, which is consistency, because this navigation that I described is slightly different on each platform. So Windows, Mac, iOS, Android, and web. So some similarities and some differences on each platform, which is, again, confusing for users, and particularly a problem in schools. So OneNote is used all over the world in schools as a teaching and a learning tool in classrooms. So often teachers will use uh, the OneNote app that they've downloaded on their laptops, uh, whereas students might use uh, OneNote online through the web browser, or they might have the tablet, which has a different app UI. Um, So this led to a lot of confusion in class and frustration and, you know, students being like, oh, I don't know where that button is and a lot of wasted time in class. Um, So this was another problem that this redesign would help. So consistency is one of our main goals, as well as usability throughout this process. We began as part of um, a user-centered design process by interviewing a lot of existing and potential users, finding out more about how people use OneNote and how they might use other note-taking tools as well. Uh, to really get to the, the crux of how we can solve this problem of making it easier for people to take notes. And so our research was focused especially on students, uh, children, and also people with visual impairments as part of our inclusive design process. And we used these insights to prototype a couple of different designs for the new nav. Uh, and we tested them out. Um, we brought some real users into to the office. And we had help from internal Microsoft experts in accessibility as well, who gave us continual feedback throughout with the different designs and prototypes. And then the, the most, most fun bit for me working on this project was um, not just having users come in to the office to try out the design. We uh, went to a number of classrooms and schools, not just in the US and Canada, but we got to go to Australia. So that was pretty awesome. Schools had volunteered to help try out our new design and their new app for a couple of weeks. And we watched and interviewed them as they got used to the new design told us what they liked and they didn't like. And, you know, opinions change after the first, like, whoa, this is different, I'm not sure. They start getting a little more used to it. And then this helped confirm that the news design was the right approach, but it also helped sort of iterate and tweak some of the smaller features, such as, like, where particular buttons are. Uh, and uh, another feature that we've adjusted uh, pen- after this user feedback was um, adjusting the size of the navigation pane um, so to help if um, users wanted to see more of the page instead of the app. Another thing that we've done is we've introduced a switch in the public versions of the OneNote app for any user to turn on this preview of the new design and send us feedback. And So we did this sort of earlier on in the process uh, past few months. Um, interesting members of the public have been able to give us feedback and that includes members of the accessibility community who reached out to us via Twitter. So that was pretty exciting. I think it was the first time for me uh, we got to, to talk to a number of people, many of whom haven't used OneNote in the past and they they were excited to hear about these accessibility improvements and to try out this new design. So finally, I can tell you a little bit about the new design, because I feel like I've been building, building it up a lot. So what we've ended up with, rather than having you know notebooks on one side, sections on one side, pages on the other, we have grouped all of the, of the navigation of notes into one place on the left-hand side of the app in three columns. So very simply, the notebook list comes first, vertically on the left, and then users could progress to choosing a section from the section list, and then the page list. And so we find in our testing that this tree view style design is much more efficient and a much more understandable way to select a notebook and progress to the point where you're picking a page, both for users with the keyboard and also those with the mouse. And as well as uh, being more efficient in terms of navigating, it was also clearer and more intuitive for users to understand the structure of a notebook, which I'm coming back to being a slightly confusing concept at first, that you have notes uh, and that they can also be organized in sections and they can also be organized in notebooks and that you can have multiple notebooks. And then uh, smaller aspects of the design turned out to be particularly beneficial in schools um, because teachers tend to have a, a large number of notebooks, one for every class, and they're organized with a vast number of sections, organized into section groups. Each student in a class will have a section group. So as you can imagine, these notebooks are very complicated, so it's a harder environment for us to test OneNote in. And so, you know, trial by Firewise, we got, I think we landed on a much better design that can accommodate complex notebooks with large numbers of students. It's been a pretty big journey, pretty exciting, taking a a lot of engineering and a lot of designers. And we're pretty excited about the benefits that this new navigation brings. I think it's a really cool story and it was a fun story for me to work on of how this was a true inclusive design process for us. You know, we needed to make accessibility improvements and rather than just making tweaks here and there in the app, we really rethought it. And it was it was quite challenging at times to lead us to this solution that's more usable and efficient for everyone.
1: I want to talk about how people get access to this because there's yeah. a, a there's a number of ways that, you know, I think we should take this and, and separate it in three different categories that being windows back and mm-hmm. then and iOS and then I'm awesome. uh, not sure where Android is, but because the story is a little bit different on each of these, right? So yeah. first of all, OneNote ships with office, but the version that we're talking about is not the version that ships with office, right? I, I think that's kind of confusing, but yeah, it, that's, do you want to talk about that?
6: The app that we've done a lot of this accessibility work on Windows is actually the the Inbox OneNote for Windows 10 app. So not the OneNote 2016 part of the Office suite, but it's the app that anyone can download for free through the Windows Store, uh, through Windows 10. And we're, it's where we're investing a lot of our effort going forward. It was the best place to make these improvements because this is where we're going to be developing OneNote going forward. So it's the it's okay. the OneNote app that you can get through the Windows Store, but it's, it's pre-installed through Windows 10.
1: Okay, and then to enable the accessibility features yep. in that version?
6: In Windows, go to the settings menu, and then go down to an area that says OneNote Preview, and there's a switch called enable experimental features. Okay. So if you flip that switch, um, you will get a prompt to restart the app, and upon restarting the app, you will experience this new design.
1: Okay, so, so let's not complicate things too much now, but let's talk yep. about the Mac.
6: Sure. On Mac and iOS, our latest build, which hit the Apple Store is just on Monday, for users with VoiceOver who are running VoiceOver before they launch OneNote, after you have the update, will automatically have the new UI. So you won't have to uh, change anything in settings. So that makes it much easier. So I would encourage you to get the update.
1: Okay, now on, on iOS, I know this is, that's easy. You just go to the App Store and get it.
5: Yep. The version yeah. of
1: OneNote is separate in the App Store on Mac, or is it part of the Office suite?
6: I know that the, the App Store version that was released to the Mac App Store on Monday has this new change automatically. So if you're running voiceover, okay. you'll get the new version. Because the Office update came a bit previously, I think it, w- it will be in the next Office release. I'm not sure on the dates, whether it was a okay. week or so ago or if it's pending in a week. I'm not entirely sure when the Office update hits, but it is coming to the Office update imminently within the month.
1: Okay so but if you want it now you can go to the Mac App Store and download OneNote and then yep. it will install and either replace the office version or I'm not exactly sure what it will do but
6: yep. um but you works. guys
1: you, you, you guys handled the bit the
4: bit Yeah magic, we right? we were
6: that bit out, yeah Okay <laughs> yeah. yeah
4: great okay I was intrigued and somewhat envious of your enthusiastic world traveling there on <laughs> the user studies but skeuomorphic design was a very visual design and it was very popular in programming for a very long time and one of the things that came out of accessibility testing was good access is ugly and users tended to rebel from what i understood you saying it seemed like a lot of the things that you were making on the cognitive level for the user to go through on the ux the user experience seemed to be positive on both sides did you notice that the the kind of the the breaking down of it really doesn't matter visually good concept of ux is is the same no matter you know whether it was pretty or not or because OneNote is very visual you're right absolutely and that's one of the things that a lot of people like about it is kind of that approach so I, well, did that pose any challenges or did you find any surprises when you were talking to users
6: yeah i think i think it was challenging especially at the start coming up with this new design, when the team, you know, went went into the little cave and, and came up with a, a bunch of options, and we were, it was clear we were moving further away from having the sections that look like a real notebook, and I moved away from that design. I think a lot of people on our team were, were quite nervous, especially because we have avid supporters who, who have said that they specifically like that. Again, even in these school pilots, when we visited classrooms, like you said, in, in Australia and other places, I think at first, that's one of their first first reactions like oh this is a little different doesn't look like a notebook anymore that's strange like that was feedback that we received Uh, and then we really found that you know after a week or so and that was why it was important to spend a bit longer with these schools and see their reactions they did discover that it was just easier to navigate so once the concept is is clear it's just it's just more efficient and at the end of the day that's what's more important not just a, a visual tweak I think the other part which I mentioned earlier about how it made it more logical so it's it's not uglier, it's it's a little different and it is a little it enforces a literal notebook less, but it's still it's still clearer of what what it is as a digital notebook, if that makes sense, or how it's organized. Like this concept of sections and pages can be really challenging for new users.
1: Yeah, it was a little challenging when I started to play with it. Um, right. Just the paradigm was a little bit different. But yeah. you know, now that I've been playing with it f- for a while, it's fine. And I did have one question because you know a lot of our listeners will not have even seen OneNote yet. If they want to be able to use OneNote and then share that content outside of OneNote, uh, say they want to produce it into Braille or they want to convert it to text for whatever reason and, and read it on their note taker, I- I'm sure that there are export options. Is that right?
6: Yeah, totally. You can export to PDF or Word, and you can export either a page, a section, or an entire notebook to Word or PDF okay. to be consumed that way outside of OneNote.
1: Will that have Hunt accessible it. markup in it? You know, headings yep. between sections P- and
6: PDFs are completely accessible when they're exported. Excellent. So Excellent. yeah, we okay, did we good. did that work. So yeah. Okay. Um,
1: well, cool. thank you, and and I want to really thank you for all of the hard work your team has been doing on this because it's it's an area that. Our community has needed this type of tool for a very, 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 very long time.
6: Wow! And
1: yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. So this is something that digital I was extremely... organization
4: is something that we cannot claim as a community to be something we're very good
1: at. No, you know? not not at all. You not know, all. I mean, there's been tools out like, uh, well, you know, I mean, Evernote and other things that they have not been accessible, and we've been Correct. clamoring for this type of a thing for a very long time. So. You know, and to have a cross-platform and a part of office where you're
4: going to probably use a lot of those notes and import them into Word, like she was stating. uh, Yeah, that's that's, that. I can think of. Oh, dude, there were there are many many times back in my government days I could have used that for sure. But I really like the concept here because it gets back to what we were referring to before about inclusive design, which is something that Microsoft has been championing way more uh in fact has been for a long time but that certainly seems to be uh, something that's mentioned in a lot more presentations and i love that story the user story because it does talk exactly about that again pointing back to my government days when we would work on documents and and work towards an accessible font or an accessible font style or background colors or gradients that was always something that you would take in front of other people that were you know all right, document design snobs. And, you know, that they would kind of scoff at you because they would look at that and go, that's not very fun to look at. I never really thought about documents as fun to look at, uh, not just, you know, as a visually impaired individual, but in general, it was just like a tool to me. It was like a knife, a fork, something that you would use, a shovel. And so I learned a lot more, especially when studying Apple UI and the like, and that's why I mentioned the morphism, that some people just gradually moved to that kind of visual representation of something. And it was kind of the pushback we had, Jeff, back in the days of the ribbon in two thousand seven, where some people really liked the the ribbon because it was like a big buffet table full of options. And then those of us who were single focused had a lot of issues with it because we kind of yep. missed our old drop down menus. So absolutely I, I love the conversation there. I thank you for that story.
3: Yeah, thank you I did want the opportunity of just jumping and adding one thing about the ribbon. We did some work on our side to make the Office ribbon more intuitive to navigate by introducing a new control in Office 2016 called tell me what you want to do. So with a keyboard, if you just hit Alt Q on a PC, you can actually type whatever you want to do rather than navigating through the ribbon. And we're finding that's a much more efficient way for a screen reader and keyboard user to navigate the ribbon. So you can type what you want to do uh, intuitively. You don't have to try to remember the exact command. For example, you can say, uh, find accessibility issues or something like that, and it'll help you run the accessibility checker. So just wanted to throw that out as a tip.
4: Yeah, you're absolutely. absolutely you're absolutely right. And that said on a lot of Windows podcasts that I listened to, that was one of the big ones that they they mentioned was the, the difference for people to be able to find that in general. And uh, it, there are a lot of powerful commands they're just sometimes buried, and people will get tired of looking for them or forget to pin them so they don't put it up on the home menu uh, but yeah I, I totally agree, and also some of the ability for some tools to move to the front if they're used more often. people don't notice that all the time, but contextually that's that's a big thing too
1: A good example of things being moved around and, and put more up to the front is the accessibility checker you know i mean that that's huge having it on the review tab, so that's That's great stuff.
3: So the tell me command actually remembers what you used previously. So the next time you hit Alt-Q, it will auto-populate the things you've been using recently. So for example, if for some reason you insert copyright symbol pretty often, or you insert citations in a particular format, it'll help you get to those commands more quickly as well and you can get get to help articles. So always the last command within tell me is going to be open the help article for the thing. On the help article point, I wanted to actually make everyone aware that we've updated hundreds of help documents within Office, both to make it easy for you to remember keyboard shortcuts, as well as uh, how to use applications with screen reader. We've consolidated all of the help documents in a hub. It's called aka.ms slash Office Accessibility. So in your browser, if you just type HTTPS colon m s slash office accessibility and you pick the application you want to learn more about, for example, click on OneNote, you're going to get the help article for what's new in OneNote, how do you use it with the screen reader, how do you use it with the keyboard.
1: Thank you for that.
6: I also wanted to say thank you, Jeff, uh, for the opportunity that me and Harry from the the OneNote team um, had to come and visit you uh, in Tucson. Again, another warm place to get to visit uh, a user at. Um, it was to come great. And, <laughs> yeah, to come and So uh, just for for the audience's information, um, we wanted to get feedback on the very latest Mac and iOS builds uh, of this new design of OneNote. And, you know, Jeff is one of one of the, the greatest people of the ACB to give feedback. So we flew out there with a Mac and an iPhone in hand, and we'd never met him before, so we were a little bit nervous. Um, and he had blocked off the whole morning for us and we just sat yeah. and we went About through four the apps. hours yeah, yeah. Fun. You found yeah. some bugs and you got super excited, and yeah, told great. us I, th- I think we were going in the right direction, and uh, that yeah, it was a great experience and a really great you know connection to make, yeah, experience to have. And then because of that, and working with Jeff, we decided to push out a preview build of that iOS app so that he could use it because we weren't going to leave this iPhone with him, so that he <laughs> uh, and other members of the accessibility community could get some of these crucial updates and start testing it out over the holidays. So that was but great. That- you know, thanks thanks to you.
1: Right, but that version of that is now in the app store, so everyone yes. has access to it now.
6: Thank you for clarifying. Yes, and it's now yeah. available publicly. So yep, and great. Jeff yeah. missed
4: out on a two hundred and fifty six gig yeah. iPhone. So. Well it was
6: I think it was the Mac it was the Mac with the touch bar. He really wanted us to leave that. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was
1: that was nice to play with. That was so, yeah. interesting. So thanks again. <laughs> Thank you yeah, very, very much. Yeah, it's great working with that. you. Thank you. And um, you want to talk about Office Lens.
6: Yep, another app and that's part of Microsoft Office's offering and is available to download standalone, it's called Office Lens and it's got some really great accessibility improvements and and use cases. So Office Lens is a great way to digitize analog content, such as a printed document or a handwritten document or even a whiteboard drawing in a digital way that can be read by a screen reader. So content captured by Office Lens through taking a photo can be sent to the rest of the Office 365 ecosystem. So uploading to OneDrive, sending to OneNote, as well as being read using an immersive reader feature that's available within Office Lens where users can change change reading speed. So this is uh, more, more of a feature for people who are also learning to read or have other learning differences. The immersive reader highlights words that are, are being read on the screen while the document is being read uh, using Office Lens and users can uh, choose the color contrast, white on black or white on pastel colors uh, and change some of these font settings and obviously also any Office Lens content can be read through a regular screen reader. So, one of the new things we added to Office Lens was a voice guidance feature that can guide users with visual impairment to help frame documents with their camera. So, like telling, telling the user to, to move up or down if um, we need to frame the content a bit better or left or right so that you can be confident you're capturing all the information in front of you. And then Office Lens is a great accessible authoring feature for anyone to use because any of this content that is inserted into OneNote or onto OneDrive using Office Lens is automatically OCR'd and we use handwriting recognition software as well to automatically generate alt text on anything, any written content typed or handwritten that is captured within Office Lens. Pretty pretty powerful tool, both for people who want to create accessible content, and also users who want to digitize content so that it can be read digitally.
1: Absolutely. Um, now, you're going to be at CSUN, right?
6: Yep, I'm going to be at CSUN, and, <laughs> and I'm bringing... and,
1: and, and you're going to be unveiling some new magic? Is that what you're doing there?
6: We'll be talking about OneNote. I'm not sure if we're unveiling anything specifically, I, I, know, I know I'm know i not speaking Okay. as far as I know, um, but maybe okay. Malvika hmm. has something to say on the office front about CSUN. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I think with accessibility, we're trying to be transparent and make improvements every month. So yep. usually we like to get improvements out to you as soon as possible and we sure. want you to partner with us. So very rarely will you see us uh, build something behind the scenes and you know uh, surprise you with something. Right. That's, that's not part of our inclusive design and transparency philosophy. Right. We are continuing to work on innovative new things. And I think you will be surprised when you do come to see how much progress we've made even in, in the past few months.
1: Right. Well, I know we're going to have to have you guys back on the office team because I know some stuff is coming that people have been clamoring for too. So we'll, uh, we'll definitely have to schedule you back later in the very near future, I think. I yeah, we right.
3: we have a ton of products that we don't cover. I didn't get a chance to talk about Skype or Outlook or Visio or Project and uh, Excel and PowerPoint.
0: Yep. But
3: definitely today I wanted people to get started by installing some of the free applications like OneNote and Office Lens and just get a flavor for what we're doing.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: there is a lot more for sure. And yep. I wanted Megan to just describe briefly the process we've been following throughout the suite to improve accessibility as well as where people can go to learn more so over to Megan.
2: Great thank you. Oh my gosh I think it's evident just from the conversations that we've had today that that I'm incredibly lucky to work with an amazing group of people here at Microsoft who are driving accessibility so I'm really excited to be able to lay all of this out, and you know, I started at Microsoft about five months ago, about five five and a half months ago. And when I came on board, I had the opportunity to read the accessibility roadmap that is published on the Office blog. And and I thought, wow, like, you know, that's pretty ambitious. But I, you know, absolutely we have hit the mark and delivered on all the promises that, that we set out to do. And And that doesn't happen if you don't have processes in place, right? Specifically with Office 365, you know, we make sure we think about accessibility as part of that design process. It's not an afterthought. It's not something that we that we think about after the product has been launched. And we do that in a couple of different ways. So first of all, um, we make sure that the most widely used features or those scenarios that you're using every single day are accessible. And by, uh, by having those particular features laid out, what that allows us to do is go through and test them. And we test them frequently to make sure that we haven't lost any of the accessibility. And part of what I think is really cool uh, at Microsoft is that we have partnered with the Department of Homeland Security and trained over 500 people right now going through the Trusted Tester Program. And what that does is really gives us a way to do a code-based inspection of the accessibility features, many that you got to hear about today. um, And we do that in a consistent way so that every single time that we're running these assessments and looking at the accessibility of our products and services, we get consistent outcomes And that leads to us being able to provide uh, conformance statements. So those beloved VPATs, (laughs) for those of you out there who who are in your business to, to make sure that you really are uh, understanding the accessibility. We are providing the most up-to-date and transparent, uh, what we call modern VPATs um, on all of our products. And we do that with the Trusted Tester Program. But we're also doing that by working with focus groups and, and people with disabilities in the community. I think Elsa just had such a great story about how she collaborated with people all over the world, as a matter of fact, not to mention Jeff to make sure that the OneNote product really was accessible through that relaunch. And I think what I like most about this particular, you know, accessibility is a lens. It's a lens of innovation that we are using to to allow us to make products usable by a broad range of people. And Malvika mentioned the tell me what you want to do. I don't know about you guys, but I use that almost every single day. I know that that's a feature that has just made my uh, work in Word, for example, just much more seamless. So I absolutely love that. And we have a goal of making sure that our products are accessible from day one, but we do that again, just through this constant customer feedback. And there's a number of different ways for people that are listening to give us that kind of customer feedback. So if you find that you personally need some assistance, we have what's called the Disability Answer Desk. And the Disability Answer Desk is trained professionals that understand assistive technology and have been trained in a range of communication styles so that they can really help you get to the bottom of what you need and make sure that your feedback, uh, if you do find bugs, is, is, driven straight back to those engineering teams. So if you ever have any issues, please be sure to call uh, the Disability Answer Desk. We also have the User Voice. Um, So this is a great place for people to come and let us know what are the next features and functions that you would really like to see. Uh, You can log your own features or you can vote on things that other people have up there already. So that's the Accessibility User Voice channel. And coming up, we're also gonna have the MVP. And I know Jeff, we've been talking a little bit about the MVP, which is the most valuable professional. Um, So for those of you that really live and breathe Microsoft accessibility, we'd love to have you be part of a small team of of people here at Microsoft that are directly influencing uh, the next generation of products and and thinking about how we not only uh, design accessibility to be included from day one, but how we work to get feedback from, um, from the community. So those are all ways that that we really want to think about a process that's infused in making sure that we are accessible and that we stay accessible.
1: Are you going to put up information on microsoft.com slash accessibility on the MVP program as far as how people might be able to become part of that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So we will be promoting the MVP program through our website, but you can also go to the MVP website. So there's two main ways that you can become an MVP. One is to nominate yourself, which is absolutely a fantastic thing to do because we want to hear from you if you want to be part of our program. And then we can also nominate people, you know, like Jeff, we just we tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, we love the feedback that you give us, would you be interested in being part of this program? Um, So you can go to the Microsoft MVP website and nominate yourself or nominate others.
1: Okay, great. And we'll probably uh, have more information on that. We'll get that out to our email lists as well. So people have uh, information. Wow, this has been a lot of fun tonight. And I want to thank all of the people here from Microsoft. For all of your time and patience in getting the uh, set up and and uh, doing doing this presentation tonight, it's been just a lot of fun. Do you did you want to provide a a way that people might be able to contact Microsoft as far as an email address or anything?
6: Yeah, I know for um. For me, I'd be happy to give my own personal one for the OneNote part. We'd love to get specific feedback. I don't know if you want to call us out specifically, but I'm sure if you put it on Twitter, it would get get to us eventually.
1: So let's um, do that. Let's go around and, and um, just have people, if whatever contact they want. Megan, if you want to just do a round-robin and ask for people's ways that they would prefer to be contacted?
2: So you guys might laugh at me, but I absolutely love user voice because what user voice allows us to do is to make sure that we're logging and we have people that are every single day monitoring that, making sure that we're opening tickets when there's bugs, driving you to the right accessibility PM on the teams. So I personally think that contacting us through user voice is a great way to make sure that your feedback gets to the team members that you need and want it to get to.
1: That sounds fine. I think that's probably going to be the easiest way. And what is that website?
3: aka.ms slash accessibility feedback.
1: Okay, so aka.ms slash accessibility feedback.
3: Right, and if someone needs support and they need to contact the Disability Answer Desk, it's aka.ms slash accessibility support.
0: Okay, great.
3: www.microsoft.com slash accessibility is the hub where we collate all these links. So If you just remember one website, it's microsoft.com slash accessibility. A lot of new content is going to get added there over time, and we're looking to move away from the older website, which is microsoft.com slash enable.
1: Right.
4: Okay. Yeah. One more place uh, for people that are using Windows 10, is there's a Feedback Hub application built right in. And that's a great application to use for giving feedback or doing a plus one that says, yeah, this issue is known and I like it too. You know, I'm, I'm encountering it too, or I want a new feature and I want, you know, you can make those sorts of things as well. In addition to individual applications or the assistive technologies like narrator and magnifier, et cetera.
5: But wait, there's more. Yes, there is. <laughs> so, no, it's... Larry, Larry's right. Feedback hub is great, but also when you're using Narrator, it's super important to know that you can actually give us feedback in app. If you're in the middle of working in an application and you're upset, if you hold down the caps key and press E twice, we'll bring up a very uh, specific piece of dialogue. It says, "Hey, I'm lost. Things are slow. I'm lagging." An opportunity to write a little piece of feedback and send that to us, and that's very specific to Narrator. It helps us understand through telemetry, like, "Hey." you know, what uh, what app you are using. And so depending on how you have your data set, we'll be able to tell us some basic information from Narrator about was it lagging and some other things. So it really helps us uh, as we continue to look at data that comes back. The more users we have, the more feedback we can get from CAPS-E and CAPS-EE uh, really helps us start to build a profile of when is Narrator slow? Is it lagging? Is it like what's going on? That's super helpful to us as we go forward.
1: Yeah, th- and, and that's a quick way to get something directly to Brett. Right, Brett? <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> you found the pipeline. Um, also, if you're if you're an insider, uh, one of the things, and, and I think this gets lost sometimes when you're doing insider stuff, uh, the quest system, it, it doesn't have to all be work. I find that doing some of the quests are fun. It leads me down paths I never would have necessarily played with in a feature. I use that a lot in Microsoft Xbox where the points are tallied and I can actually see how many points my friends are doing. So it actually gamifies the ability to do uh, user testing. And I know that sounded as geeky as it could all sound, but it is something that's really fun and and you're providing direct feedback to the team. You get steps to reproduce, uh, you get some quantitative ideas of how things are working directly uh, within the use case that's been thought up by the design team. So I think that's really cool and something to do when you're like, okay, well, I don't know how to test or if I wanna provide feedback, what do I do? And so having the ability to go into the Quest system, which is available in a lot of the Microsoft Insider builds, you can actually go through and it'll give you step-by-step to try and reproduce. And it teaches you a lot about how user accessibility works, how UI works or how a feature might work.
1: Absolutely. And speaking of Office Insider, on a future main menu, we'll put up a quick tip about how to join the Office Insider program, both on Mac and Windows so that you guys can be in the know on that as well
0: yeah awesome main menu is a program sponsored by the american council of the blind and acb radio it airs every friday evening beginning at 9 p.m eastern on acb radio mainstream and it repeats every four hours until 5 p.m the following day you can listen by going to acbradio.org mainstream by using the acb link app for ios catch it as a podcast or call 605-475-8130 at airtime. To send us feedback, email mainmenu at acbradio.org. Thank you so much for listening.